everyone. Welcome to an episode of From the Margins. Thought you'd seen The Last of Us, huh? Well, I know they thought they'd seen The Last of Me, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, she's back, bitches. I'm back. I'm large and in charge. I'm kidding. I'm moderately sized and have very little power in my everyday life. I also just remembered that I'm allowed to curse on From the Margins, so fuck. 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 (gasps) What? Who was that? Surprise! It's a new member. Dun, 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 dun. Oh my god. A new challenger who, who appears. <laughs> oh wait, we haven't even introduced ourselves. Wait. Hi, welcome back to Cringe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Connor. I'm the smart one. I'm Violet, the cute one. I'm Zach. The dumbass one. Oh, Zach. Oh, You're not. <laughs> no, Zach is actually... Well, my takes might be... Well, I don't know about your takes. Your hot, juicy takes. Mmm, takes. Mm, gotta load them hot, juicy takes up. I love so- a nice, medium, well take. Speaking of a medium, well take, what did you guys think of the medium, bad movie we watched last night? Well, I think you already gave some perspective on it just by uh, introducing it in such a manner. So... <laughs> Obviously, the movie we're talking about is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, a book based on, uh, was it Ian Reed's book? Yeah, Ian Reed. Of the same yes. title? Yes. All three of us that are commenting today, myself, Connor, and Zach, all read the book. And if you might remember, back on, oh, I believe it was episode three or four, three. Connor and I talked about our experience with the book, and we talked about how the Netflix adaptation would be out soon. It finally came out, so we decided to all hop on a call, decided to record an episode and talk about our experience with the movie, the book, and everything thing in between so vibe check what did we think of this movie not great how about zero out of ten and explain why Ooh, i i'm it a... no i mean zero to ten oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> that was gonna be a real <laughs> spicy take uh so uh, i'm at least giving it some points like five six out of ten uh mm. better than half but okay I, it was it kept my interest and that is why i'm giving it points if it had lost my interest at any point because it is such an odd movie i would have very heavily critiqued it and not given it over half gotcha connor well out of five stars i would give it one and a half one full star for tony (gasps) collette and half for the other actors combined because I don't think they did a bad job. I just think they had a terrible script to work off of. And they did the best they could. I see. Um, my perspective is I'm a big film technicalities fan. And I'm a very, like, just, I don't know. I can't ever watch a movie and just watch it. I have to look for all the different decisions and affirmative things that were put into it. And watching that movie, I couldn't help but feel so unsettled and so uneasy in a way that was very reminiscent of the book. So I have to give it a 7.9. Wow. Awesome. I'm glad that we have a very <gasps> large range here. And I already did the math, and that means our total average from the channel is a 5.46 out of 10. Nice. That sounds about right. I mean, it wasn't like the worst, and I thought they attempted some interesting things. But like I tell my students when I'm critiquing or giving feedback on their work, it's like you can't say something and not expand on it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can't put something in your essay and then not explain it. And I felt like a lot of this movie was just like things they put in there but they don't come back to them. They don't explain it. They, it doesn't add or contribute to the plot. 
And I can't speak on like a technical level because I don't know that. I found the story to not be that cohesive, coherent. Yeah, exactly. Like the part part of my issue was that they changed a lot from the book. But the things that they changed, as as Connor just said, it didn't make a lot of sense and they didn't expand upon it. So you're like, well, why are we talking about this dead pig that was getting eaten on the inside? I don't remember if that was in the book, but I think it was actually. That seemed familiar when they brought it up. I think it was too, because I remember the first thing they do when they get to the house is go to the barn. Then there there were a couple other ones that I'll rely on (laughs) y'all. See, I was actually kind of excited halfway through when I saw that the, the stuff happening in the house with the parents was radically different from the book. And at first I was excited. I was like, oh, yes, they're doing something new and different. I don't know what to expect. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. going to enjoy this. But then the movie rapidly pivots back to the plot of the book after undermining the (laughs) buildup that the book had to make the ending pay off. I'll be honest right out of the gate. The reason I say 7.9, the full two points that actually did come off of the 10 were almost exclusively related to their narrative cohesion. Like they were faithful to the book when they wanted to be, but then it wasn't always, it didn't always make sense. They made so strange of choices that I couldn't really tell why they wanted to go one direction versus another. And I just have to say the ending. I hated that ending. I was, it was all right. Connor knows I didn't love the ending of the book. I hated the ending of the movie. Interesting. Okay. It was so It neutered bad. the entire powerful. Let's not give away the ending yet. Cause I do want to walk through the plot of the movie, but as far as like, you know, general thoughts. Let's keep those coming. Can do. I, I, I second Violet's reaction. That w- the the way that I explained it, it was so good on like a technical basis that like you you know that this director is skilled. You know that they have done some great things, and they know how to evoke emotion. But there was nothing to like build up to that emotion like i wanted to feel things the the score made me be like wow okay i should be feeling something this scene in oklahoma should be making me feel something even though i'm not familiar with oklahoma the the whole setting of it was just like okay this is good uh 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 and then they cut to the end and it just like it was so dissonant that i i, I could not get a good grasp on what was going on and what i should be feeling i completely understand and i do want to speak to the fact that charlie kaufman is a very accomplished director he's got some very wonderful ideas he's creative he's not afraid to do something out of the ordinary for the sake of emotion and tone and it really came through very well in this movie except when it didn't and when i say that I mean, mostly, it didn't feel like a problem with direction so much as it felt like a problem with the screenwriting. I think the writing didn't have the cohesion it needed. It felt like it was jumbled and there may have been some disagreements during the actual planning out phase and that ultimately is what came back to bite them in the ass long term. Because Charlie Kaufman's got one of the most like sparkling, creative repertoires of anybody in Hollywood right now. Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind being John Malkovich. Synecdoche, New York. That's another one that I can I could not remember the name of it. That one also took so many different liberties with the way it did storytelling. And all of his strengths came out in this, but I think it just came down to he didn't know what to do with the story. He did what he could, but he could not revive something that was kind of partially dead on arrival. He's a good director, but I don't think he was a good director for this because there was such a difference in his 
directorial style of, I guess, like quirky, slightly uplifting, but also melancholy versus the book is a thriller. And I, I, it's I think true. The, the, the tone just didn't line up properly between director and, and story. Like, and a melancholy thriller can absolutely work. And that's one reason why I say the ending was such a terrible note because it was such at no point in this movie were we ever to feel like hope was an achievable thing. And then they tried to ratchet in this message of hope at the very end. It felt condescending. It felt belittling and kind of like an insult to like sit through the entire movie to be given this very ham-fisted idea of like, oh yeah, things are going to be okay. I think that was a poor choice. And if it was up to Charlie Kaufman and he did put that, then I will absolutely rescind at least a little bit of my earlier compliments. But for the most part, I think his quirkiness added to the advantage because whenever I get to the more technical details of what I noticed in the movie, he hit some one, he, he did the tone exactly as it needed to for the tough moments. I just looked it up. He did write the script, Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay. Oh, he yep. did? Yeah, oh, he wrote my the screenplay gosh. All, all right. by himself, I think. Charlie. <laughs> yeah. I went to bat for you, man. And I think Zach brought up something really good. The fact that the book was a thriller. The movie was not. And I think if the movie had just completely swerved genre, like it seems Violet was picking up on, it would have been a lot better. That's my opinion. Like, that's why I was excited when the movie was going somewhere else, because I'm like, oh, good, a fresh new interpretation of the material. Right. And that is the tonal dissonance that jarred me, is how it could do something so different in the house, but then continue to follow the plot beats of the thriller without trying to be a thriller. And it's like, okay, I'll save that for later. But like, there's no reason they had to play out the second half of the movie. You know, one thing that it made me think of, and I haven't seen this movie in years since we were in college. I, I think we watched it in 407. The The scene in the car at the beginning, it, it made me think of Fargo a little bit. In that, Oh no. Well, <laughs> my memory of Fargo was just like, it's very bleak. It's very not. Yeah, it was very funny bleak. Yeah. So like <laughs> it, it had that emptiness, which was good. I, I thought that that was a good choice. But then I, I don't know. Fargo committed to it versus I'm thinking of ending things swerved all over the place, as, as y'all have said. So like that's where I'm like, like a car without chains in a snowstorm. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well, at least he's got the chains. <laughs> at least he's got I the have chains. To- I have to get back tonight. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> okay, so do y'all want right. to just start walking through the movie? Yeah, I'd like to take us to the beginning of the movie. Sounds good. So my first sign that it was going to be bad is when they play the young lady. And also like her name in the closed captions is young lady. I thought that was mm-hmm. funny. Um <laughs> Yeah, they deliver her monologue about I'm thinking of ending things. And then she's literally describing the landscape of the drive. But the camera is showing the house. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why yeah. would they do this? Well, what weren't they like evoking the emptiness, the bleakness, the sadness that I guess you were supposed to feel with uh, the I'm thinking of ending things monologue? 
I'm giving the director too much credit because now I'm completely reconsidering my how much to like attribute to being creative versus how much was just a happy accident. But I thought that the incongruity between even talking about a field while being inside of a house could speak to this idea of you're going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be a lot of things that don't make sense naturally about this movie. And they're not supposed to make sense. They're supposed to make you feel on edge. And that was kind of one more disconnect between what is happening versus what you think should be happening. You know, I, I'll take the opposite side from Connor in that I kind of enjoyed the opening and showing the farmhouse only because if you were a first-time viewer and you'd not read the book, I don't think it would have had the impact. But because I had read the book, I was like, oh, wow, they're foreshadowing a lot, but they're also foreshadowing, like, the emptiness with, do we want to spoil it right now? I mean, <laughs> how, how far do we want to go with this? Mm, let's tease a little bit longer. Okay. So just like they set up the ending, if you understood what the ending was in the book, I don't think that they played it all very well in in the movie. But so that that initial scene of the farmhouse emptiness was very interesting for me coming into the movie. Agreed. Like I mentioned to you guys after I watched it, I was taking notes the entire time. I took over 300 words worth of notes just in a couple paragraphs. And my very first note about this movie is, wow, could they have telegraphed the ending or twist more than they did? <laughs> like if you read the book, it's like, oh, Lord, help us. We know where this is going from the get go. But if you haven't and it's an objective standalone movie for you, you probably don't have the pieces to put it together. I literally texted Zach. It's like they spoiled the twist in the first five minutes, but then forgot to actually reveal the twist <laughs> at the point exactly. of the twist. <laughs> I mean, they even had the old man standing at the window watching the young woman getting into the car, which mm -hmm. led into the farmhouse. So it's like, just, I, lo I love how Connor phrased that. Just, they set it up and forgot to pay it off. Mm -hmm. You did all the work with none of the fun. I don't have a problem with the opening images at all. I have a problem with the content of the monologue describing the setting, the scenery, and it just not being congruent. Mm -hmm. I mean, Violet mentions that that's supposed to take us off guard or it's supposed to show us that like things aren't going to line up or make sense. But I also just don't think it was very effective either. And that might be a me thing. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I definitely agree. <laughs> Again, I've came off giving Charlie Kaufman far too much credit and I'm having to like walk it back a little bit. But if he did intentionally try to make that disconnect on purpose, I do think it was ultimately a very weak way to do it. And it's one that we would only have ever recognized in hindsight, not as it's going on. Part of why I like that monologue and the fact that half of it is a woman who wants to leave a relationship that's lost its fire is because that's a narrative that I find myself in like every three weeks. <laughs> and I really... And I don't know, I really wanted to explore that like really like uncomfortable moment when you're like, oh shit, it's over, but I'm just like too much of a nice person to get out. And the fact that that was put next to a psychological thriller was very interesting and good for me reading. And this movie undermines it by clearly showing that there's something off about this young lady there's something off about the whole story but then whenever it goes back to her wondering about oh should i leave jake it's over i'm thinking of endings blah 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 it's like well we already know there's something else going on and that's not what you're really thinking it's true 
And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, again, did the maybe it's just me on this one, but did the director not entirely completely rewrite the theme of that book? The message I got from the book and the message I got from the movie were entirely different. I mean, I like to believe he brought his own angle to it and made it his own. But at the same time, he didn't know what made the book good. So he just like copied random parts of it without thinking about what it does to the overall tone. I mean, yeah. so I, I agree with you, Violet, but I want you to expand a little bit more on what you think the theme of both of them were, just because I'm interested to hear how you play them off of each other. Overall, it's felt a very bit on the nose, but the biggest theme that I took away from the movie was this idea of like aging dementia no longer being of use no longer having control of your life and having to have like having to recognize your lock loss of agency and your body just giving up on you little by little but in the actual book it felt more like an analog for depression and this hopelessness that comes from it and all of the cold empty imagery was just a way to heighten that so I do think that both messages or at least both interpretations themes are very well thought out and they were structured in the way they needed to be, but they're just so different that the movie felt like it was a doppelganger of the book. It didn't feel like I was watching, I'm thinking of ending things the movie, it felt like I was watching an original movie that had, you know, similar feelings. 100%. I like that. Yeah, the book Jake really felt like he was depressed he was um just a sad sack who just wanted to die to get it all over with yes whereas movie jake lived a really long life had several health issues probably had already lost both of his parents you know after like actually caring for them as they died right and there was a lot of talk of utility and like serving the purpose and dying for the good of the community like um like the ants? Yeah, the exploding ants. Like the exploding ants. aphids? Or ants, yeah. Or, yeah, some sort of exploding It bot. was ants. It was ants. Okay, and they, like, die for the good of the community because they get to a point, or they already exist, where, like, we are the community. Mm-hmm. And then his death was, like, heroic and happy, and he got, like, a good old-fashioned Oklahoma send-off, whereas in the book, you know, two detectives find his dead body in a locker. (laughs) Yep. Oh, let me tell you, I was not ready for... I just want to talk about the ending so badly, but I want to go through it chronologically. Let's just get to the ending. Let's let's think about ending this. (laughs) And then we'll go back to the beginning. I think that's wise. All right, the moment that their car pulled up to the parking lot of the high school... I looked at uh, the people, my roommates that I'm living with currently. I looked to them because they were watching it with me. And I was like, I am not ready for what's about to happen. <laughs> and then I see the ending of the movie where she just runs in and has like a tearful moment with the janitor and everybody starts dancing. And I was like, I wasn't ready for this ending. <laughs> not in exactly. the way that I expected. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew there was like 20 minutes left in this movie. And I was like, oh my God, I am so, the book (laughs) ending was so stressful. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Like, and then I see that and I'm like, 
am I watching the right movie? I I sat there with my arms folded with the biggest scowl on my face, and I was like, this is not getting higher than an eight. I guarantee you that. Is this La La Land? It felt like it. It felt like comatose La La Land. So that that's what I was uh, telling Connor during it, too. Just like, I want to preface this by saying, I really enjoyed the ending of the book because like it kept me up past my bedtime and i was uh you know in that like sleepy haze but i was like god i'm enthralled by this book because this ending is wild but then we start to see the dancing and i was like you know it feels surreal but it didn't feel like it earned the right to be that surreal it didn't (laughs) it absolutely didn't absolutely not like there were no dance scenes beforehand she had just finished telling the janitor that you know she had never even talked to the real jake so like what was that dance what did any of it mean right i can't tell you i i legit that the last half of well the last like 20 minutes of the movie i don't know what i was supposed to take away with that even having read the book even having as much as I possibly could, I don't know what that ending was supposed to tell me. Going on the movie interpretation of it being a story about dementia and no longer having a use in society, the only guess I could venture is to see the ideal version of Jake and the ideal version of the young lady dancing together was a symbol of his acquiescence to the idea that I may be better off dying for the community and I no longer have a use and I'm making peace with that understanding and I'm going to go out on my own terms. And that dancing is sort of that hand-in-hand fluidity of recognizing that ultimate goal. But at the same time, even as I'm saying these words, I'm very aware of how horseshit that is. Because again, <laughs> it was not earned. I, I, I want to jump off on that with you saying like going out on my own terms because frankly I can't remember how I'll let y'all spoil the ending of the book since I don't remember it that well. But I, I remember the janitor having much more agency in the book and then in the movie he literally strips off his clothes and he's like choking i'm not entirely sure what they were trying to evoke with that imagery and then he like walks into the school again i don't know what they were trying to tell me with that because like they could have just shown him dead in uh his truck the next day Mm -hmm. like they, they found him there he just stripped off his clothes because of hypothermia. Right. But he goes into the school and, okay, so in, in in the book, I thought that he, it was depression, but it was also not probably the best representation of schizophrenia or delusions, but it was still like that. Mm. But I didn't get that in the movie at all. Like, it just, it felt like they went into surreal mode rather than I should be seeing this through this character's eye and these are the delusions that he was trying that he was seeing and that's why he did these things right it just felt surreal (laughs) in the book it felt like he was actually going through these emotions like he was actually delusional and having in the book it felt like he was actually not in touch with the reality around him whereas in the Mm -hmm. movie it felt like he had created all these characters and was just playing a game of emotional chess inside of his own head trying to figure out what he's going to do I thought um, the emotional chess thing was true for both the book and the movie because the young lady is not real. She is a figment of his imagination. If anything, she's like the embodiment of his will to live. Mm -hmm. Going to meet his parents was kind of like him giving her a tour of like how shitty his life is. Mm -hmm. Movie version? No, book. Book, okay. But Violet is correct because it is seemed to be like a delusion as well. 
he created her in his brain and then he lost control of the fantasy and she took on a life of her own and her thinking of breaking up with jake is actually him losing his will to live exactly and that's why the abuse in the book shows like the trauma bond between a woman who wants to leave her good-for-nothing man but she can't because you know she just pities him so badly and jake is realizing that like he doesn't want to be pitied but gaining agency is actually not a victory because he just uses it to kill himself Yep. And then in the movie, that's why I don't think it earned the sur- surrealism because she confronts the janitor and it almost seems like she has an epiphany, but she's not real. Right. And then she turns around and sees Jake and then she, her fake self and Jake's fake self start dancing together. And it just, I don't know, we had just left her perspective and she is not real. She is not the one imagining this. Jake is. And then when the janitor comes and kills the Jake body double and she's crying, it's like, I could see how the truth of the situation is that, you know, I'm not this person, I'm actually this janitor. But like, it's not his tragedy, it's her tragedy, but it's not her tragedy, it is his tragedy, but the movie has just gotten so confused in its own layering. Fuck this movie. <laughs> Fuck I, this so movie. I, like, <laughs> I, I'm very interested, because I, I didn't think about this until just now. Also, if I remember, I have a different interpretation of the young woman in the book, which that's a, that's a whole other thing. But the that ending with the dancing, with uh, the snow in the gymnasium, and Jake getting stabbed, I'm almost like shedding my understanding of the book. I'm almost trying to see, was Charlie Kaufman trying to get us to see from the perspective of the young woman, rather than the perspective of the janitor? Like, because that's where it's getting confused and in my head because like who are we supposed to seeing see this through we know as readers of the book she's not real but does that come across in the movie to y'all that she is not real no (laughs) honestly (laughs) i mean that is part of what i think made the movie bad is that she's obviously not real because jake is the only consistent character we have scenes of them in the car together and she changes uh she turns into like a wikipedia article film critic like cigarette smoker <laughs> at one point like she even changes actresses at one point Connor, I swear she's to God. constantly changing clothes during the dinner scene and i'm like okay and i mean maybe i noticed this because i already knew the twist but anybody who was watching closely would see that she wasn't consistent. The parents were both changing ages and personalities. It was only Jake that stayed the same. So to keep the movie in her perspective after playing your hand so early, it doesn't work. It doesn't. They did a few little alterations to Jake, though, that I caught on. I didn't see any, so what did you see? I caught one that I remember off the top of my head, and that was uh, whenever his mother is lying in the hospital bed in the living room, and she's like oh my god what happened and jake's sitting there comforting her it's either when he's comforting her or whenever like he's feeding her pea soup whatever 
Um, Like when she's already dead or when she's old. During one of those scenes, it's very focused. He's a little off center to the right. So it's focused on his right shoulder instead of him and his face. And you could see that he started wearing the diligence pin from that point on for the next two scenes. Oh, yeah. I do remember seeing that pin. Before then, he had not mentioned it or worn it up until the dinner scene. And then it just magically appears and disappears. I completely missed that pin. So I have no idea what you were talking about. Yeah, I did see the pin. And I think... Isn't that the pin that you get when you are the primary caretaker of an elderly person or something? I can't remember. I just know it's a diligence. Right. Because he was, it looked like the caretaker for his mom and we got to see her die. Mm -hmm. Like we got to see the entire lifespan of both of his parents in that dinner scene or that house scene. And that part, you know, that change in character doesn't bother me because that was an aesthetic change that shows that like, time is moving and i knew that time was a theme and i remember trying to think of like if i didn't know the book what would i be thinking and i'm like okay the young lady is a time traveler and she's actually unmoored in time (laughs) and every time the scene changes she's at a different point in her own life and there's actually more than one dinner scene that have just been interspliced together and she remains constant but the parents are aging and she's changing clothes because this isn't actually the same day that's some 40 like i was putting in i was putting in so much work to try to say like they're not revealing the twist too soon they are not revealing the twist too soon (laughs) oh and you should never have to do those kind of gymnastics i know i just want to say i was i was going through the end uh in my mind again snowfall scene jake getting stabbed that leads directly into the oklahoma scene right yes. okay we don't see the young woman after that do we i thought we saw she's her. in the audience yeah. with like really bad age makeup on. oh yeah she's in the she's in the audience okay yeah once that ends then we go straight to the janitor in his truck right actually there's the dance scene then the janitor goes to his truck and then he follows the pig into the school, then the Oklahoma scene, and then the movie abruptly ends. Yeah, while he's That's fucking right. turning into a musical. Okay, wait. Have any of you seen Oklahoma? No. Nope. Do you know anything about the plot or the characters? I mean, I know it's one... All I know is Oklahoma. It's like the first American musical. Yeah, but do you even know who, like, old Judd is? Nope. Okay. Nope. So, in Oklahoma, there's... A lot of love triangles, but the main one is between the main character, some girl, her name is Lori, and another farmer on the plantation named Old Judd, or just Judd, whatever. And nobody likes him, and he's a total outcast. In the original staging of the musical, you weren't supposed to feel sympathy for him at all. He was weird. He had pictures of naked ladies. Ooh. he is in love with laurie but so is the main character and the main character ends up just like shooting him oh god killing him dead and then the entire town is like lol we're not gonna miss him (laughs) let's have a wedding (gasps) yeah and that is the song that jake is singing at the end he's singing the only solo that judd gets where he's lamenting how nobody likes him and that yeah basically wow (laughs) that's the song that ends the movie well i guess i mean thematically that makes sense that's good conduct i don't like it 
And I don't understand the combination with the Nobel Prize acceptance and then the awkwardly aged people that I don't understand. I think it goes back to the dementia metaphor of like how he was still recognized as possibly being this big integral member of society who could contribute. But then just through the natural process of aging and no longer having a definite utility other than being a janitor, he's become somebody that's entirely expendable. Right, exactly. Like, nobody likes him. He is the most marginalized outcast person in Tulsa, Oklahoma. (laughs) Tulsi town. Tulsi (laughs) town. Oh my god, is that why they call it that? Yeah, because they're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. (sighs) Oh my god, I didn't catch that. I was like, like, this is a weird Dairy Queen. (laughs) (laughs) exactly i was like they couldn't get the rights for dairy queen so they invented the oreo burr i was so frustrated when they said that i'm like i hate this and they still did the uh turn it upside down yeah i know i thought that was trademarked the leper girl is like it's a blizzard out there and a burr in here and i'm like shut up shut up you shouldn't even be in the movie like anything after the farmhouse shouldn't even be in the movie i agree once tony collette's off stage leave (laughs) (laughs) for literally any movie that's it just keep her on stage and everybody will watch we'll get back to the critical analysis shortly but i just want to say tony collette once again proves that she is the most underrated underappreciated woman in hollywood thank you god bless she's so good at literally everything like you can pick up okay this is obviously tony collette so she doesn't like phase into the background of the character but she's so good that you're like i understand what this character is trying to do in this scene she's so dynamic and like even when she like she can act her heart out and i felt so horrifyingly uncomfortable but then i remembered wait that's kind of the fucking point of this scene (laughs) (laughs) and you know she's australian right yeah i remember that like she does all this with not even having the native accent yeah, she's played Aussies, she's played Americans, she's played British people, she's been on the BBC. With why, like, why is she not, like, president of the Screen Actors Guild? Who knows? Maybe she will be. Maybe she'll be recognized in, like, 20 years. So, I had a thought about the very first time they're in the car. Yes. And this is before I knew the direction the rest of the movie was going to take. But they're in the car, and they're talking, and they keep showing us shots of the janitor flash forwards Mm -hmm. and the staging of oklahoma's and just really anybody who knows the twist you know just playing into that and it almost made me wonder does the director not trust his own writing and his own actors to build their own suspense talking to each other in the car I genuinely think that Charlie Kaufman's a good director, but I think he's not the greatest screenwriter. He's not, I don't think he had, he wanted to do too much and it just got jumbled. Instead of having one solid, you know, continuing refrain, he tried to put too many things in there and it just like overflowed on him and everything spilled out. I I think the, um, what got me, especially in that first car scene, because it, it got better later on in the movie, but the young woman character, she was like a normal character, a normal writing with her playing around with that character, whatever. Um, Jake getting like no lines played very stiffly like I think that that actor whoever he is he's he's a good actor because later on he I I enjoyed his performance he didn't get many lines in that first car scene he didn't get a chance to like play any kind of personality to add literally anything to it so like the woman is talking (laughs) 
but it's like she's getting no reaction. So like it's it's half of a conversation. And mm-hmm. I know that that's probably on purpose because I mean trying to show they don't really get along. They don't know how to connect. But it it, it was such a weird disconnect to like that's how you were introduced. You weren't introduced to be like, oh, he can be charming at first. So that I could see why there might be a little bit of a flame and then tone it back down to him being so stiff. They just led with the stiffness for so long. And then they were able to let the actor actually act and give some life to the character. Right. They kept that shit awkward from the word go. There was yeah. not an ounce of endearment. When I was like putting on my I don't know what's coming shoes, I was like, girl, leave him. <laughs> Same. <laughs> He's so boring. He's so dumb. It I looks mean, like somebody tried obviously... to draw James Corden from memory. Oh, <laughs> I said he was I... like off-brand uh, Jim Gaffigan or awkward. Jim I see Gaffigan. that. <laughs> Jake Gaffigan. I think he's cute. Cool. You're you're allowed oh, yeah, to think that. Yeah, for sure. It's it just like <laughs> he. It was just like he's very familiar. <laughs> That's the best way I could describe he's not it. My cup of tea. I liked his blazer and his shirt though. <laughs> I think my problems, honestly, might be more with Jake as a character than with the actor. And that's, that's on me, and I apologize. <laughs> no, I mean, that's true. Like, he was so good at acting that, like, you could tell the kind of person he was. And that's what helps me connect to the material so much is that, you know, I've dated several Oof. Jakes. Oof. <laughs> I have been the young lady so many times. <laughs> And Zach was telling us about his first time reading the book. My first time reading the book is when I was kind of stuck with an artist at a certain school. I remember this person. I thought you were going to be more vague than that, but okay. I mean, a certain school is pretty vague. But like the irony of reading that book, I'm thinking of ending things while being stuck in a situationship with somebody who was that dependent on me. You know, looking back, that definitely colored my reading because that was the situationship where they were so dependent on me that I literally had to go onto campus and sit in the metalworking studio and not even see them, but they had to know I was there because if they were ever out of their apartment alone, they would have a panic attack. And like, that is kind of the emotional dependence I picked up on the young lady in the movie in the house when she's walking down the stairs seven times in a row talking about how it's like, I need to validate Jake. He needs to know that I see value in him. But I also have to be of value so that someone of value sees value in mm-hmm. him. And I'm like, these are the mental gymnastics that I also do when I'm in my quasi relationships. Yeah. So she was literally descending into madness. <laughs> <laughs> She's not even. I know. Um, so I, I do want to say, I, at least on that scene, I made a comment to Connor about how I really loved the visual imagery of the repetitive thoughts because like anybody who's experienced the repetitive uh, intrusive thoughts like that was a pretty darn accurate scene <laughs> that's how it feels so i agree i did appreciate that so like again kaufman he's a great director whenever he hits it right but <laughs> i'm just not a fan of him as a director spoiler alert that's why that's another reason why i took off points i'm just not a huge can fan i of take him. a minute to like gush on the technical work done in the house like that makes me actually give it such a high score despite my like not liking so much yeah let's go let's let's move into the house violet starts all right off. 
when you go in the house, you have the meeting scene with his family. But first, before you even meet his family, you gotta go walk through the living room. You gotta see the dog that pops in and out of existence like a Bethesda character. <laughs> and Jimmy. <laughs> and Jimmy, you never see him when he's not vibra- like vibrating wildly. But um, <laughs> I want to say that one of the best things, this is not going to the technical aspects of the, mo- the movie, but... It does speak more so to what the medium could provide, what you can do in a movie versus what you can't do in a book. But the scene where they approach Jake's childhood photos, you see that it switches between the young lady's childhood photo and his. That was so well done because I remember that moment in the book as being one of the first like big red flags that shit's going to go weird in this book. But uh, when I saw that in the movie, I thought it was just so beautifully implemented and it had such a more powerful reaction to me personally than it did in the book. So I have to say there are some strengths that the movie can do that the book can't. With that in mind, I think the best thing that Charlie Kaufman did in this movie is understanding the visual language of visual language of tone and i know to anybody else that sounds like i'm sa- i sound like the most pretentious human being on the world by saying that but <laughs> he understood what you needed to do to sell that discomfort and sell it hard to show that not only something's wrong this isn't an ordinary awkward dinner but there's pieces of the puzzle you're not getting he changed people's outfits in the middle of middle of dinner he changed what side the band-aid was on the dad's head People changed mannerisms and left a right hand dominant, like dominance at one point. People like, and when I say change mannerisms, the young lady actually laughed like Tony Collette's character at one point, and they swapped again later. Zach noticed that. Really, too. I'm so proud of you. I hope that didn't sound condescending. I'm genuinely proud. Um. <laughs> then also, the mom who couldn't remember the word genus then corrected the young lady on something she said earlier. It really was just this constant shifting floor of what's happening at dinner. You never felt like you could be safe or comfortable. It felt like you were going through dementia because nothing that you perceived was ever going to be permanent or reliable. In fact, if you ever go back and watch that movie, count how many times that bowl gets passed around the table without some people (laughs) scooping it in. People that already scooped food out will have it at least three or four more times before it's finally sat down. And just I never noticed that. Exactly. Doing tiny things like that without ever calling attention to them too openly gives your audience such an uneasy feeling because you notice in some tiny way and it makes you so distrustful of what's happening because i've been awkward dinners i've inspired a few of them (laughs) but (laughs) but i've never been to a dinner that felt so so kind yet malicious Mm. zach yes bring up the young lady copying the mom i mean so are you referring to whenever i uh whenever we were talking about um her cleaning up the table and no when you texted me about exactly what violet said copying her laugh copying her mannerisms i don't remember that one but okay well you texted me about it and i was thinking like okay let's do a little freudian bullshit to use the language of the movie (laughs) (laughs) he is literally projecting his mother onto the young lady in scenes where the young lady and the mother are on the same frame Mm -hmm. like that is his connection to women is his mother Ooh, that's true okay yeah that's what i saw happening there gotcha so you're saying like his his projection of both the young lady and his mother were getting jumbled because he only had that reference point of his mom right 
That's what I believe. Because we know, as people who have read the book, that he doesn't actually know this lady. This is somebody he saw from a distance at a bar during trivia night, and he created a character out of her. But he just ends up giving her a lot of characteristics that his mother also has, because that is what, you know, he thinks a woman is. I see. Um, that's actually a good segue into something I wanted to talk about, but it would take us outside of the house. So I don't know if we should do that. Yet. Uh, I well, had some I... thoughts on the house, so I'd like to keep here for a minute. Me too. Can do. So I guess I'll just go ahead and get mine out. Bring him out, um, Zach. Bring him out. I actually lived with my grandmother who was going through dementia and then Alzheimer's and then watched her for years go down that slide. So it was a, it was an interesting experience. But before I even uh, get to that, overall, while the house scene was entertaining, I, I think this is another instance where the book as a thriller differs from the book, uh, from the movie as some weird, surreal, almost lighthearted take on on because so in the book i just remember the house being ominous the 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 basement being ominous everything just being off but also just like in a way that you're like i don't know if she's going to get get killed here because like at at that point in the book not a lot had been dropped of like okay things aren't right she might not be real it was more just like this is (laughs) this is a young woman going to this house in the middle of nowhere meeting parents where things are not right and this could easily go into like horror territory where she uh, gets attacked and especially like bringing up the basement that is such a trope in horror movies that you're like okay obviously something terrible is going to happen especially with the dog scratches on it or technically since those were very high up more likely the human scratches on it I don't know what that means that's just a odd great thought but I wasn't a huge fan I was I enjoyed that they kept the picture uh, the painting scene in there but I wasn't it was an odd take I don't quite remember how it was done in the book but I just remember being so, so taken aback in in the book that the the movie revealing that like it was somebody else's paintings and even though they were hers you, so it, it you you got some clues that is she imagining this is she taking it from thing that's that's another instance where like is the movie trying to get us to see everything from her point of view and so she's actually the the one who is experiencing all these odd delusions and projecting onto everybody else so so my other thought is that the the take on alzheimer's dementia i mean it was all right but it was very tropey like if you if you've never experienced uh dementia so my the reason why i say that is that my grandmother she was a super 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 nice person but once the dementia started to get in she was angry a lot and she would fight back about everything and the the just like oh i've forgotten the word for this thing i mean that might be like very 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 early dementia but like to the point where you're labeling things so like this is the this is this person's room it doesn't quite fit like that especially if you kept the room the same as the kid which they didn't really change much it looked like more of a teenager young child's room than like an adult living there people with alzheimer's start to regress so like they have the they'll remember the younger versions of things so like the adult version of people will disappear before the child version of that person so like i always got called david which is my dad's name because i looked like him at the time but my dad (laughs) her son didn't 
recognize that. So that that was just that was some of my interesting things where it's like I don't if you're going the Alzheimer's route with this time travel stuff, you, you need to be a little bit more accurate for me to buy into it. So mm. I'm gonna stop talking because that was a long monologue on my part, but a worthwhile one. Violet, do you remember the significance of the basement and the paintings in the book? I remember the experience of reading her going into the ba- like basement. And I have it's the first time that we confirm that she's not the true narrator, right? Because she sees Jake's I... name on all the paintings, even though she's the one that painted them. Well, I don't remember that, actually. Oh. Um, I remember her going into the basement, and there were the paintings were really scary. I do remember that. Um, they were not landscapes. And, like, yeah, they're not landscapes. To my memory, they were, like, kind of, like, crude, bad portraits um, of, like, beast people, maybe? <laughs> or, like, stick figures, but, like, their borders are messed I'm gonna up. I'm going to look that up. I mean, I have the book, but it's, like, on my shelf, not by my recording gotcha station. mine's in my car the most important detail about the basement was that you actually accessed it through a trap door and yeah. the scratch marks were on the inside suggesting that somebody had been trapped inside and was scratching the inside of the door not the outside That's and right. i remember when i went on to like reddit after i finished reading the book and i'm like what the fuck did i read and reddit was like oh that's like his unconscious trying to escape the claw marks are a symbol that he's repressing so much and it's trying to come out and this was before i was like a psychoanalyst <laughs> so that's very freudian um yeah i guess so i mean the young lady doesn't believe in freud so she's not to be trusted (laughs) but yeah like like the the basement was very threatening i remember getting that in my image like because what wasn't like the the mother being kind of like don't go into the basement to the young woman and the young young woman was like i'm a horror protagonist i'm gonna go into the basement the mom told her to go into the basement like jake told her not to i i I meant in the in the book oh gotcha sorry because, yeah, in the, in the movie, it just, like, said, go down there, <laughs> explore. Seize the day. Was that, was that right, uh, Connor? That, uh... I don't remember, okay. but I remember, I do remember, uh, she's in the basement and the mom finds her there and shows her the paintings. Mm-hmm. That feels familiar. And she's like, look, this is a portrait of me. And it's like a horrible mess. <laughs> so. I think that was one of the major turning points for me where I was like, oh, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Once it was still scary, but not she gets insta-killed. And while we're talking about the house, that's when the movie differs from the book significantly to the point where the parents are changing ages, young lady is changing outfits, and so much of it is different than what happens in the book. And that's when I felt excited, like we're going a different route. You know, I don't know how you're going to react to this, but I thought the entire movie should have taken place in this house. Like, they should never have left because everything that happens afterward Mm -hmm. is part of the psychological thriller horror suspense thing. And that has no place in the movie because that's not the genre Mm -hmm. it's doing. The entire movie should have stayed in this house where the movie was at its best where we had Tony Collette <laughs> and we could have just we could have just played with like altered timelines and altered interpretations 
And instead of the sequence happening at the school, we could have turned Jake into a farmer and he was like a farmhand on his parents' farm after his parents died and he inherited it. And I don't know. Like, this is me trying to rewrite it to take what I liked about the movie and make it continue to That would at least reinforce the Oklahoma motif. Mm Mm-hmm exactly yeah i really like that that chain of making him a farmer who inherited it because you could keep the aging thing 100 percent, the not feeling useful to society 100 percent, fading out of yourself because you're alone all the time all those things could <laughs> easily line up right if he watches his parents die the u.s economy has changed to where we don't need farmers in oklahoma anymore and then it you know like we talked about the maggoty pigs and the sheep And the dead baby lambs. I mean, anything could have happened there. Mm -hmm. The school comes in in the last, what, 45, 30 minutes with only the janitor interstitions as Mm build-up. And without any of the horror elements of the book. It just didn't need to happen, in my opinion. Also, 2 hours and 15 minutes for, like, a Mm 110-page book... I, I need to talk to somebody about this <laughs> need a meeting. So I guess c- continuing on from the farmhouse, I so what I can't quite remember. Does the does the scene with the uh, what is it the the red letter diner or what is it called the janitor watching the movie? I can't remember the name of the diner. Like I remember the scene obviously very well, but and I remember Robert Zemeckis is supposed to have like directed uh-huh. that movie, and I was like, wow, it's the red diner deli. Oh, there we go. <laughs> and then literally they take the information from that movie within a movie and turn it into the backstory of how they met after already establishing that they met at trivia night Mm -hmm. wait that's what they used it for i I didn't catch that they established they were trying to establish another way that they met like yeah because they at one point afterwards after already telling the story about meeting at the trivia game um at the pub trivia they ask again later they explain that they met when she was a waitress at a diner and he ordered the what was it? And then they both said Santa Fe Burger. Oh, at yeah, the same time. Okay, I remember now. Yeah, that was just like another example of why are you telling me this information? You made a callback to yourself, but that does not tell me literally anything. Like, okay, you're changing up again because she was a biologist, she was an artist, she was a physicist, she was everything. She's too good for him, honestly. She is. She's absolutely too good for him. She, she was a poet. take over the world. Okay, her poem sucked. <laughs> that it wasn't poem even hers. was so bad. I mean, yeah, it wasn't even hers. Violet, what did you think of the poem she read in the car? <sighs> I'll be honest with you, between like keeping up with that first driving scene, I'd be lying if I said that I heard all of it and critically analyzed all of it because i listened and i was like some of those like some of the concrete imagery was really good but i did not critically analyze the poem like i should have it was just bad no offense to the actual poet if they're real that's fair can i actually mention something related to this idea of like her poetry being bad go for it this kind of touches on something i wanted to bring up earlier what 
do you think the purpose was of making so many references to her as an individual no longer having agency? They talked about the Baby is Cold Outside song later in the story. They talked about how all of her accomplishments eventually became Jake's. They talked about how she can't go anywhere without a man because that's just what's expected of women. There was a lot of mention. There was a lot of like speaking ill of femininity in this movie altogether. For example, I know that at one point they call someone a Nancy in a derogatory way and a sissy in different times. I'd be lying if I said there was not a gendered aspect of the book that kind of made itself known in a very clunky way of the movie okay so to me jake seems kind of like a neurotic liberal like he's just always (laughs) walking on eggshells like i've got to be politically correct at all times but it's always the young lady who slips up and he corrects her and she has to back out of it Mm -hmm. like she's the one who says sissy's like well we don't say sissy she's like i know it was of the time Right, And then when she was talking about homosexuality, he's like, well, when you put homosexuality like that, and she's like, well, I meant back in the 70s when homosexuality was a pathology. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, that's blah, 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 blah. Right. He seems neurotic, like a lib. And that's like the majority of credit I'm giving to it, honestly. I mean, I do think there is like an effort on his part to understand the tribulations of womanhood. Like he's so invested in understanding what it's like to be a woman for some reason. For some reason. But like, you know, I don't think that Jake is trans. I don't think that Jake is gay either. But like, I think he's very aware of like what is and is not quote politically correct. Mm -hmm. And he's just... I mean, he's open-minded, for one. He's really dedicated to having a female persona, a female personage occupying his brain and having conversations with him. I totally get that. I think, ultimately, even including those things without going all the distance in the movie was at least clunky, and I think it muddied, ultimately, the message of what the movie wanted to convey. Because whatever it wanted to say, it didn't fucking say it in the movie doesn't say anything Um, it doesn't say anything at all because i think what gendered aspects of the of the book there were were at least done with a little bit more finesse and gave some room for interpretation but uh, i every time i get worked up and talk about this movie and i think of something i just feel that score that i quoted at the beginning sliding down little by little i may have to renounce that 7.9 and go back to maybe like a 7.0 here's a take okay it's not quite a take but it's it's a question that i think plays heavily into surprisingly both definitely into the book if you have read the book and understand what the movie is trying to say because the movie doesn't say anything and it doesn't make any goddamn sense (laughs) um so this this is all from the perspective of an old man janitor i mean so we see in the movie the actress weren't they doing oklahoma there too but she was singing a part in there so you're, you're like seeing a young woman through the eyes of an old man and then he's trying to extrapolate what the experience of a young woman would be like as an old man as so he's experienced the Baby, it's cold outside all the way to present day understandings of women. And so he's trying to reconcile all of that together 
and also in a relationship, how does that dynamic work? Because he clearly doesn't have a lot of experience in that point. So what do y'all think about that? I think that makes perfect sense because of the fact that he works in a high school that is ostensibly public because it's a magnet school means that he would have to be versed on the ways you can and cannot communicate with people that he didn't necessarily grow up with. That does make sense why it would be brought up so awkwardly in the car because he would know the difference and he's sort of telling it to his past self. So yeah, I think um, that's a pretty good reading of it. We can also view the young lady as Jake's anima, which Carl Jung believes is the female part of all men. And this is what the man thinks a woman is. The man is usually at odds with his anima and all of his views of femininity are wrapped in his own relationship with his own femininity. And of course, Carl Jung was writing in a time where we didn't have the same language around gender. And now we understand that it's all a social construct and there is no essential feminine or essential masculine. But we still, you know, work along the same lines as some traits are considered girly, some traits are considered manly, mm-hmm. and <laughs> cis men particularly in this example have a relationship with the parts of themselves that are deemed by society to be feminine. And Jake, you know, for better or worse, doesn't seem to be in conflict with it. He embraces it full on, and yet it remains separate of his self. He has not brought her into him. He keeps her separate, and he talks to her as if she's a different person. You know, he has not synthesized a complete... Um, idea of the self that includes the anima but he also doesn't reject her that kind of reminds me i need to look it up right quick but there's actually a carl all right i am not a carl young scholar by any stretch of the imagination but i do remember a quote that's one of the first times i ever heard the word anima and let me see if i can find it right fast that you bringing that up kind of reminded me of it i found it all right um the quote is after the middle of his life however permanent loss of the anima means a diminution of vitality of flexibility and of human kindness i don't know could it be coming to terms with that or coming to realize that that part of himself is no longer useful i might be reading too much into it i'll be over here quietly i mean i think you bring up a good point because the ultimate goal in jungian psychoanalysis is to have the full integrated self so for in the 21st century context for cis men that is integrating the anima into them for cis women that is integrating the animus that inner male, those parts of themselves that have been deemed masculine by society but are not essential as might have been believed in the early 20th century. You can't reject those parts. You have to bring them in. You have to accept them. So when the person in the Carl Jung quote rejects his anima and loses his flexibility and kindness, that's because he's given over to toxic masculinity. He's thoroughly repressed any part of him that he thinks society would deem feminine and weak. And Ah. it's actually made him a lesser human being. I see. Jake, I don't think, struggles with that. And if we're reading this through the lens of, like, dementia, Alzheimer's, disabilities, criticism, it could be the different parts of himself are dissolving. And that's why he's seeing his parents and the young lady and all these other archetypes 
like the Tulsi town queen clown queen mm-hmm. and the, the sexy clown the, sec- the <laughs> tulsi gabbard and the pig <laughs> and the dairy queen girls that's why he sees them as different people because his mind his like sense of self is dissolving and the only way he can conceive of these other parts of the self is by communicating with them as if they were completely different persons perhaps that makes sense so I don't think he's repressing her. I don't think he's like rejecting her at all. I just don't think at his certain parts he's able to integrate her back into himself because he's loaded her with his desire to keep living as mm. well. He's overloaded her indeed. He's putting far too much value on what she means to the point that she's more so the speaking voice for him. It goes back to... I think you just really hit the nail on the head earlier, Connor. I'm 100% in your camp now of the young lady just being a personified will to live. Hell yeah. I'm in the Connor camp. My take on the woman, at least in the book, I'd have to really sit here and digest it um, if I if I thought the same in the movie. As I, as soon as I say that, I, I disagree with that because the movie said absolutely nothing. So, But in the book, I really leaned heavily into the relationship aspect so basically i was thinking about them with the ending in mind and looking back with hindsight knowing that this is the interpretation of somebody else imagining a relationship because in my head this was very creepy in the book once i got a hold of what everything was going on because the janitor had imagined this girl that he saw in the bar and imagined her going out with him <laughs> and going through this whole thing where so it was very odd but so the the janitor was projecting an idealized relationship with the woman and and that's where i i just it, it was basically like giving him comfort maybe i'm projecting too much <laughs> onto this i saw it as very reassuring self-reassurance to him through the the young woman so i i definitely see it giving him comfort especially right there at the end although it gets a little squirrely with the school scene because that (laughs) that's definitely horror territory uh in in Mm -hmm. in the book so i don't quite know how to square that one with him imagining this idealized woman to give him comfort thought uh but i I guess just like in his final days as he's going through things and experiencing so many delusions in the book be clear in the book not in in the movie it was just uh him basically comforting himself in his final moments so like similar to what y'all are saying but i don't know i not a hundred percent in the connor camp yet oh i see interesting it was basically just it was very much a relationship than something else, I guess, in my head. That that was how I was taking it. But I mean, I like the relationship, and that's why I was excited for the possibility of a movie that would explore the toxic relationship between a will to live and a deeply right. suicidal person. This might be a little rough. Sorry, people. But, like, somebody who suffers from, like, suicidal ideation, who's living, like, a really bad life with no hope of getting better, and they're just tired of coming up with reasons to live and all they have to keep them going are like the paltry reasons like 
you know, lists on Tumblr like <laughs> new songs from your favorite bands, new movies, new seasons of Supernatural, Super Hulak, whatever the fuck. Like, I mean, choosing life is always better, but when you're at the deepest depths of agony and there doesn't seem to be hope then like creating a caricature of a reason to live and putting all of your will to live on that person or that that idea it's interesting to frame that as being in a relationship with someone on whom you have staked your entire identity your entire reason to live And I thought that was so interesting to be in the perspective of the young lady who is believably on one level. Jake is this awkward loser guy, but he's got a banging girlfriend who does every career and is good at everything. And she validates him in his existence. And she's like, oh, but I can't leave him because he's so pitiable. And then to actually make her his reason to live, like that part of his brain anatomy or his psychic architecture, I thought that was so interesting. And I hoped that the visual language of the movie would give me an angle of that that I didn't really access in the book. If they would have just taken the janitor out, I think the the movie would have been so much better because you could have put it 100% in her perspective and her going through the experiences of, I'm thinking of ending things with this guy and the experiences of learning about this person, not really being interested in them, having those awkward family dinners, etc, etc, etc. I think that could have been an interesting take. And I think that that might almost be what the movie was trying to do. (laughs) And that's just it. That's like the problem I have is that I truly believe Charlie Kaufman didn't know what made the book good when he adapted it into a movie because he played all of his hands from the very beginning thinking that oh people who didn't read the book won't really get it they'll just think it's weird but like i wanted to be in the perspective of the young lady i wanted to see her struggle deciding yes i'm going to leave jake I'm going to see his parents, but I'm definitely going to leave him. I've realized now that this relationship bears no fruit. And then when the twist is revealed and she's a figment of his imagination and we realize he's been struggling with suicidal ideation, we're like, oh, shit, right? But we don't get that in the movie because very early on we realize, oh, she's also inconsistent she's also weird as the movie doesn't really explain anything i don't know like it almost seems like the alzheimer's dementia route is just too easy because it doesn't get into the nitty gritty morally gray shit that i loved in the book i don't even know if i loved it it was at least better in the book interesting yeah like What I loved about the book Mm -hmm. was the suspense, right? right? Like, I loved the fact that I read where she is trapped in the truck after Jake goes to confront that scary snake creature inside of the school. And then she's, like, running for her life. And there's, like, this figure that's writhing on the floor. And I don't know what the fuck is going on. And I'm just scared out of my mind. And then the realization happens. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm winding down. And that's why I was excited for a movie where it's like, okay, 
knowing the truth, can I at least still get a nuanced portrayal of this failing relationship, which is actually a like man realizing he wants to die? So I don't know. Here's here's another thing. I I don't want to <laughs> cut Violet off here because. Oh no, you're good. The the play on words of I'm thinking of ending things in the book of the relationship and then also suicide, that was very meaningful to me, probably again, because that was before I was on antidepressants and it meant a lot to me being like, wow, that was very poignant. But also, I probably shouldn't be reading this book because that's bad right now. Um, (laughs) But did y'all get any indication of suicide in the movie at all? Not really the only time i can remotely think of suicide is whenever the pig was leading him down the hallway when he was naked and was talking about like hey we don't get to choose what we get man just get out of the way (laughs) but is that even really like suicide or just like giving up it It also kind of felt like that was when he was already dead i mean it was so confused and then I think about the Tulsi Town girl who tells the young lady, like, you don't have to go through with it. You don't have to go right. forward. You can stay here. And, you know, that is like a part of the brain saying, don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself. But she's saying it to the young lady. The young lady is completely oblivious to the truth. She's not the one who needs to hear it. Jake is the one who needs to hear it. The young lady is already his reason to live. Spicy take. Spicy take. In that scene, Jake deliberately has his back turned to the camera, to everything going on there. So you could say that that's obviously the the part of the brain that says, I have to keep, I have to do it. I have to go through with the suicide. But his, yeah, like uh, his, his ego. More open to listening, opening, open to reason part of the brain through the young woman the super ego is listening to that i think that that is interesting reading into it film does nothing to support that except for having jake turn his back yep (laughs) violet what were some of the technical beauties of the film some of the technical beauties were just people often forget this in their day-to-day life but choosing not to do things is every bit the same choice as choosing to do things. The things that he did choose to do and not choose to do are what I think spoke highly of the director's vision for what this movie could be. I just ultimately find the biggest takeaway is that his vision was not cohesive and that ultimately took away the end. Some of the technical takeaways were the fact that, believe it or not, the car scenes were beautiful as far as technical goes because I agree. The shots would linger just too long. They'd be shot from like not common angles where mm. like I remember whenever they're driving away from the house at one point the camera is in the back seat looking at them in the front seat and you can see Jake looking in the rearview mirror a little too long at one point but you can't see the young lady at all and i was like that's so beautifully shot cinematography at its best yay some of the other things were as you guys mentioned earlier just like descending the stairs keeping the shot constant but making it look like her entire going down is just one fluid motion almost that it's been repeat and not shot over and over and over the technical aspects of like the acting the fact that everybody made me so uncomfortable was the charm the point was to put you in the space where you're not sure what's going to happen. The janitor doesn't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen at the end of this. Maybe he'll convince himself not to die. Maybe he'll assume that life's worth living and he still has something to offer. The anxiety of the entire movie was so beautifully done because, and here's another thing, 
go back and watch that dinner scene again and see how many times there's a cutaway so brief you barely even register it happened. See how many times it cuts to her laughing or reacting with her face and not saying anything. Because it's so unsettling when you do recognize it and you do think about it. But happens so quickly you often don't ever register as having happened at all. I guess the biggest takeaway as far as technical things are just putting uncamped like strange camera angles that normally wouldn't make sense, keeping the camera consistent when the rest of the world isn't, because it shows that you the audience have a fixed perspective even if what you're seeing can't be trusted. This is getting a little off the technical regard but it more speaks to tone. If anybody ever saw the movie Mother with Jennifer Lawrence, I did. That movie achieved something I never thought I would actually see in my lifetime, and it <laughs> it's not my favorite horror movie, but it's the only horror movie that ever made me physically afraid. By that, I mean when I watched the movie Mother, I had a physical panic attack in the theater because of the way it was shot, because it was cluttered, it was loud, audio was layered on top of each other, everything that was chosen was done so to make you feel like you were just a tiny piece of this entire thing happening and it's getting hectic and you have no control and you're right in the middle of it. I had a spark of that feeling during the dinner scene because it kept cutting between people so quickly and somebody would talk over another. Somebody would interrupt someone else. I was focusing on like how many times they were passing the goddamn bowls and you kind of it artificially gave you a sensory overload. That's such a specific thing to be able to achieve. That's honestly one of the reasons I rated it so highly in the first place is because it takes a very steady hand in order to make that happen without making it overwhelming. We yep. have very different things that make us panic. <laughs> Apparently so. Just as an aside. <laughs> My anxiety's been so not as big of a problem in the past couple years thanks to the thanks to the magic of modern medication, but still got a twinge of it during that movie and I was like, "Oh, nice." <laughs> <laughs> nice give it to me baby love that primal fear <laughs> so all right i guess uh we're nearing the end to to, to wrap things up uh, yeah i was gonna ask for closing thoughts so af after i uh watched the movie i i read a few reviews uh because i wanted to be be validated in my negative thoughts <laughs> like any rational person one thing i i saw repeated over and over again is that it's going to be a boon to netflix because people will want to keep watching it over and over again because they might have picked up on oh the changing outfits oh how everything <laughs> just felt off maybe there were other things that i didn't catch <laughs> and i just wanted to tell those reviewers that no nobody will want to watch this again it was not like, there were pieces of it, but I don't see many people at all re-watching this. This is not going to be a boon for Netflix. I'm going to make everyone watch it with me. I'm again. going to make my roommates watch it with me for movie I'm going to make my parents watch it. I'm going to make my senior I'm going to make grandma. my mom watch it because she also gonna, read the book. I'm going to make my grandma in the nursing home with dementia watch I'm going to make Maggie and Denise read it or watch it. <laughs> I, I need somebody who hasn't read the book to watch this movie and tell me what they honestly thought of it. Yeah. Because I mean, my people didn't read the book. Oh yeah, what did they think? <gasps> oh, they can you hate hear it. the fucking fireworks? I can hear the fireworks. What the fuck? Oh my god! <laughs> it's September fifth. The fireworks Summer's are over. back. Conspiracy. Oh wait, it's Labor Day weekend. Just kidding. Oh, that would make sense. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, to me editing this 
<laughs> next week. <laughs> they absolutely hated the movie, and frankly, I kind of have to agree. Like, they totally understood a lot of the stuff I was telling them about the technical aspects of it, and they were like, yeah, I see how that works, but we ultimately came to the same conclusion that it was kind of a clusterfuck, and it was up its own ass so hard that it accidentally cut off circulation to its lower intestines. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> That was an actual quote. <laughs> so, what did they think? Did they get any hints of the suicide? Did they get any hints of whose perspective well, we were supposed to be looking at? Did they get any hints of like the young woman wasn't real? Like, what did they think with that? Literal thirty seconds into the movie, um, my one roommate who is a professional architect was like, "I'm thinking of ending things, so like a breakup or kill themselves." <laughs> and i was like yes <laughs> but other than that they they didn't see the value of mentioning the janitor so much in the early aspect of the movie until later they put it together before you actually got to the high school kind of where it was going um the moment she ran into the high school was very much the revelation of i think i know what's actually happening now and what did they think was happening um just that jake her and the janitor were all basically some combination of the same person and i didn't get, confirm or deny any other things going through the movie because i wanted them to have their first experience completely unfettered by my interpretations but yeah they ultimately did before before the dancing began they're like oh so that makes sense why the janitor was here because he's kind of like using them as an emotional conduit to get out this feeling of not no longer belonging and i was like yeah that hits it where it needs to hit i didn't say that until after the movie but yeah i'm very surprised that they were able to pick up on hey they kudos to them smart cookies they are white chip macadamia they are some smart cookies i do like white chip macadamia nut cookies me too especially at subway though they're the only kind of oh my gosh yes (laughs) but lest this become an episode about chubway (laughs) that's our chubway for life eat flesh I'm going to marry Chubway. <laughs> like the community episode? <laughs> I told yep. you Zach was Britta. Zach is Britta. <laughs> I know. Unfiltered. <laughs> Gosh, I can't believe community is a real show. Okay. Um, I'm thinking of ending this episode. Who's with me? I think one last thought and then I'll be done. Okay. We had a lot of fun today. Mm-hmm. We talked about a lot of things. But truly, the real friends are not the ones you make along the way. They're the ones I'm thinking of ending things with along the way. Goodbye. <laughs> bye. bye. See me again in six months. Oh, wait. What's our usual call out? We just say bye. Bye. Fuck you. <laughs>